Hello and welcome to the Rare Disease Cell and Gene Therapy Weekly Roundup. Every week, we at Partners for Access discuss the major news developments impacting the rare disease and cell and gene therapy industry and what they mean for you. Today, amongst us, we've got Janet Lambert, the CEO of Alliance for Regenerative Medicine, an international community of small and large companies uh, that also includes non-profit research institutions, patient organizations, and other sector stakeholders. And today she's here to talk to us a little bit more about what ARM does and uh, more specifically about its latest report on ATMP landscape. So Janet, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Janet, could you tell us a little bit about the recent report on ATMP landscape? Uh, There were some very broad reforms on uh, regulations that were suggested. Would you be able to elaborate on these changes and how how do you think ARM can influence um, any change that might take place following this report? Um, sure, I'd be happy to. So first, this, this report that you mentioned is the first report that ARM has done looking at an individual country. ARM has historically done uh, analyses of the global regenerative medicine sector, companies in the sector, clinical trials underway, products under development, and the like, investment in the sector. And we decided to partner with BIA with the support from our friends at the Catapult to look specifically at the UK because of all of the interesting things happening in the UK and the leading role that the UK is playing in this sector overall. So that's, that's why we did it. To us, it's quite exciting because it's the first, uh, as I said, country-specific report that we've done, and it gave us a chance to really shine a light on some of the terrific things happening in this sector in the UK. When it comes to our kind of regulatory uh, agenda and recommendations, I think, you know, the first thing I'd want to point out is that the expedited regulatory approval pathways in the U.S. and in, the, and in Europe are working very well. So the prime designation, as you probably know, is working well. A significant number of the of prime designations are for ATMP products. The system seems to recognize what the unique aspects of ATMPs are and the particular value that they can bring to patients. So I think all of that is really a good news story. There, there certainly remain some things to be done. So one of the challenges of this sector is that the manufacturing of these products which are, you know, in most cases sort of a bespoke product are challenging and are generally approved on a pretty small scale. And so it requires a lot of integration between the therapeutic developer and the regulator to work out exactly what the manufacturing regulatory requirements are and how they can evolve over time. So that's a real focus. That, that area of regulation is called the CMC set of issues, and that CMC regulatory topic is a big topic of ours. Um, another interest of ours is in um, really kind of advancing the in- opportunities for engagement between therapeutic developers and regulators. We found all over the globe that wherever therapeutic developers have early opportunities for dialogue with regulators, it 
it benefits both regulators and the therapeutic developer and avoids kind of false starts and misunderstanding. So uh, that's, that's another key emphasis we've got. And I guess the last point I would say on the regulatory front, I think those are key and important areas of work for the sector and for ARM. But I would say that I feel like the regulatory landscape right now is not the biggest challenge that the sector faces. Okay, so which what would you think is the biggest challenge then? I think the biggest challenge is um, market access and patient access. We've seen that the science is really progressing. We've seen that market approvals can be achieved and they can be achieved in a timely way. What we're all still trying to crack the code on is how do we integrate these products into kind of the existing public and private payment system in a way that allows the sector to thrive and for patients to really get access to these therapies. I think that is still a work in progress. This leads on very nicely to uh, my second question. We talked a little bit about the market access part of it. One of the key things you mentioned was the funding element or the lack of or understanding of what are the different routes for innovative payment schemes and models that could be adopted. When you're looking at different innovative access and funding requirements. So how is the ARM looking to influence or drive these changes with respect to the healthcare systems themselves, workings of the healthcare systems? Yeah, sure. Um, so ARM is doing a number of things in this area of trying to drive market access and patient access. I mean, first, we've done a lot of analytical work about this problem, right? So we published a number of white papers about what is special about this category of products? What are the, what are the unique challenges that they present? How are they different? And what are some of the adaptations that could help these products get integrated into the, into the current system? We just published within the last month a report looking at the market access uh, landscape in Europe and looking in particular at sort of five key markets in Europe to see um, where progress is being made, where is there um, maybe some some challenges that need to be overcome. Because if you look at the map of, of products that are currently on the market in Europe, it's a, very, it's a real patchwork as to where products are approved and where products are being reimbursed, which means we haven't yet figured out how to deliver products broadly and consistently across patients in Europe. And we really need to get at that. You know, we're tackling it in addition to this kind of analytical work of just helping people understand what is the situation and what are some potential solutions to the current situation. We're involved in direct conversation with payers. And that's really, I think, the, the kind of core of our efforts these days. And uh, the good news is that, that there's really a lot of excitement about these products because of their clinical benefit. People really want to figure out how to bring them to market and how to get them to patients. But this notion of having potentially one-time therapies that are 
either highly durable or even curative and therefore have the entire value of the product linked to just a one-time event and therefore a pretty expensive one-time event is just not the way most payment systems have been set up. And so even where there's a lot of willingness and interest and engagement, it's taking folks a while to figure out how at the operational level this can really get done. And I think what we see now is that, you know, so far these have been ones and twos. You know, we haven't had uh, hundreds of these special products come to market in any one year, but part of what ARM is doing in its conversations with payers is trying to show them what the pipeline does look like so that they can see we aren't going to be in this onesies, twosies era for very long, you know. Um, we're going to be in the 10 to 20 products a year in just three to five years. And so these kind of specialized one-off solutions, while appreciated and good models for how to do this in the future, are going to need to kind of get industrialized in order to take into account um, this, this pipeline that's coming online soon. ARM is also doing some work on pharmacoeconomics, pharmacoeconomics, I believe, uh, under the foundation of um, cell and gene medicines. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about the, the project that deals with uh, identifying values as compared to current standard of care? Sure. Um, let me tell you a little bit first about the ARM Foundation for Cell and yes. Gene Medicine, mm -hmm. which ARM launched in January of 2018 with um, with its own board of directors, its own kind of you know structure. We created a foundation because it just was so apparent to us, based on our conversations with ARM's you know 300 plus members, that people felt like there was really a huge educational need in this space that patients and caregivers in particular who were starting to be approached about the possibility of being in a gene therapy trial or having, having a, you know, a, a, they themselves or a relative uh, contemplating a gene therapy in some way, that there just wasn't a good sort of go-to trusted resource for information about how to, how to evaluate gene and cell therapies and to understand um, what made them different than conventional therapies. So, so we had had a bunch of individual member companies who were spending, you know, resources to try to build various kinds of public education campaigns, but it just didn't scale. Mm. So the notion was to try to bring, to, to create a vehicle whereby all those small disparate efforts to do public education could come together and it could be done uh, on a little broader basis. So, um, the very first project of the foundation is something called the Gene Medicine Education Project, which is um, kind of a multi-year, multifaceted campaign, as I said, to provide information about gene therapies and gene medicine, primarily for patients and caregivers, but also for journalists and providers. The second main project of the foundation is the one you mentioned, is a kind of health economic impact analysis. And it really came out of a kind of landscape assessment that they did some time ago where they looked at what what are the frameworks that HTA bodies in Europe and in the United States are using 
to evaluate the, the value of cell engineering therapy. And that landscape analysis identified 12 key value inputs that they felt were not reflected in most assessments on the part of HTA bodies. So what they're doing is using some of the country and, and the world's best modelers. They're trying to build a new value framework that could properly assess the value of cell engine therapies by introducing some of these aspects that weren't heretofore generally included in value assessments. It's not, by the way, meant to be a kind of, uh, these won't be individual product assessments by any means. It's meant to be a macroeconomic analysis of what is the impact of this category of therapies in general. Um, and I think that foundation is, I mean, it's a real exciting project of the foundation. As I said, there are a number of, of global experts who are involved in it, and I'm sure they would be happy to talk to you about it um, further as it, as it develops. They're hoping to have an initial draft of this, of this model uh, sometime in early 2020. That's not very far off, so uh, I'm hoping uh, you'd get to hear some excellent models for gene therapy. Moving on, I wondered if ARM has a position on what is now called as home-brewed gene therapies, basically where some hospitals are developing in-house um, gene therapies uh, using hospital exemption. Uh, does the ARM support these initiatives because they, they help to drive down treatment costs? So um, thanks for the question. I think ARM has been um, definitely paying attention to the hospital exemption for some time. Mm. I mean, really from the perspective of, you know, how do we get safe and effective products to patients? And how do we have a framework that ensures across all these different settings, whether it's a hospital or a therapeutic developer, that the standards for determining what is safe and effective are the same? And, and I think with the hospital exemption, you see that their hospital exemption itself has been implemented um, in various ways in various countries. And that, of course, creates problems for therapeutic developers who are members of ours. Mm. So, you know, our, our goal with the hospital exemption is, you know, as much consistency as possible across member states and that the standards for producing a safe and effective product are are sort of clear and consistent with the standards that you know other developers are are required to meet. Do you expect the trend to continue or uh, or die down as more and more clinical stage companies come into this market? Um, I would expect that you'll see I mean absence activity that you will definitely see more and more uh, companies coming into this market and I would imagine that you'll see more and more kind of individual hospitals also exploring you know what role they're going to play in the sector. Now for ARM's overall strategy, could you give us an idea or a glimpse really on what ARM envisages uh, for gene therapy in Europe? Sure. I mean so first of all, you know, I think you know from, from knowing ARM, ARM is, is so excited about what ATMP potential is to alleviate 
human suffering around the world, right? So yeah. we are we are thrilled with what the science is producing and the clinical results that we're seeing in clinical trials in Europe and around the world. And the fact that these products have this potential for long-lasting curative effects for patients with really debilitating and often fatal disorders is, is really um, phenomenal. We see that there's going to be a really exciting wave of therapies coming to market soon. That coming wave of therapies requires of all of us to really work on the barriers, the regulatory and market access barriers that would keep them from getting to patients. And so, you know, ARM's strategy for gene therapy in Europe is to sort of get ready for this this wave of promising therapy and by working with regulators, market access policy makers, and of course our own member community to break down the barriers to getting those exciting products to patients. The good news is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there's so much excitement, I think, in, in the clinical community, in the regulatory community, in the patient community, in the payer community. I mean, I have every optimism that we're going to work this out. Um, you know, my, my, um, my effort is really to make sure that we work it out in as timely a way as possible because um, we really feel like there's an opportunity to help help this whole sector flourish to the benefit of patients. Excellent. Can I ask, after the UK ATMP landscape report, do you plan on doing any more country-specific ones in Europe anytime soon? You know, we don't. We haven't identified the next one we'll do, but it is definitely my expectation that we'll do another one. Excellent. Thank you so much, Janet, for joining us today. It was a pleasure talking to you. A pleasure talking to you too. Thanks for the invitation. And that's it for this week. For more news and analysis, do visit our website www.partnersforaccess.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We welcome your feedback. Thanks for listening. See you next week.